I'm Mike Agarbo, and this is the Get Connected podcast, and it's a good one today. We're going to be talking about a Chinese EV or electric vehicle company that is outselling Tesla. And get this, their EVs are starting at $5,000 US. We'll uh, dive right into that. We'll also be talking about NFTs for artists, non-fungible tokens, helping artists authenticate their digital art and in some cases make millions and millions of dollars. We'll also be diving into our mailbag, answering uh, questions from our audience. Everything from how to scan photos uh, better to uh, how to uh, get uh, rid of old laptops. Well, now it's time to get connected. We have an excellent show today. We are going to be talking about NFTs once more, non-fungible tokens, still all the rage. More and more people are getting into these. These are digital tokens or authentications for digital art. We have great uh, video up at uh, our website, getconnectedmedia.com. John has done a a great job at uh, giving an overview of what NFTs uh, are. Uh, On this show today, we will uh, be talking more about NFTs for artists and how to get them set up. Do you feel you're an expert on this now, John? I'm slowly getting there, yeah, for sure. (laughs) Well, uh, we've had some great conversations about it, and this is something that if you're not totally aware of yet, you have to stick around and listen and learn about it because it's going to be a part of our our lives, our digital lives going forward. We'll also be talking about a new Chinese electric vehicle that's outselling Tesla. It's a pretty cool, pretty cool little car, and we'll tell you all about it. Uh, and finally, uh, we also have our mailbag where we're going to be taking some of our listener and viewer questions and answering them on the show for you. John, we also have that great contest going on, uh, giving away a touch trainer. That's right. This is the uh, last week for the contest too. And what's exciting about this one, it's a little different than some of the other contests we've done. You can find out more information on our website, getconnectedmedia.com, but there are ways to gain additional entries. So uh, by sharing on your Facebook and, and what have you. But if you go to our website, uh, it will give details on how you can do that. And this is an awesome prize. It's uh, worth over $1,500. And it's an exercise system. It even has like a rowing machine attachment that literally will fit in any space, whether you have a home or a condo. And you can actually pack this thing up and take it with you on, on the go as well. And again, getconnectedmedia.com if you want to find out uh, ways to get extra entries. And if you tune in to the end of the show, we have a secret word that will get you additional entries uh, as well. So stick around for that. John, let's get into some of the news uh, this week. And this is kind of interesting. Dyson, and I think we're familiar with Dyson, uh, especially when it comes to their air purifiers and their cordless vacuums. They've got uh, a new one coming out that hunts dust with a laser. (laughs) What do you think of this? You can never go wrong with lasers in hunting. <laughs> but this is a safe laser, but not for dust. <laughs> That's right. Dust beware. And so I'm trying to, I, we've just gotten the uh, the news articles about this and we're still following up, but it, it seems to be shooting out uh, a green laser onto the floor. It's not going to work on carpet. I mean, the vacuum works on carpet, but the laser works best on uh, a hard surface like a laminate or uh, a hardwood uh, floor and i guess it's supposed to be able to show you where the dust is like it makes it stand out more yeah 
yeah, I'm still trying to wrap my head around this, but it sounds like it's it's using the laser to help identify uh, dust particles and and you know keep in mind what what are dust particles? Typically, that's more human skin cells and you know pet dander and that kind of stuff is really what is the bulk of the dust, right? So, um, so this is a very like microscopic level sensing system that they've got going on here to just to really try to get all that stuff out of your flooring and um it's i i i don't know it's hard to tell because we've only seen a render so far but if the laser is actually on and you can see it like it's the visible laser or if it's just part of the sensors that are actually happening but might be kind of cool and you can vacuum in the dark with your little lightsaber <laughs> out in the front of your vacuum cleaner your star wars dyson well from what i understand uh this laser is supposed to help the vacuum detect how much dust is in the area that it's about to hit and the vacuum can automatically adjust the suction power of the vacuum and there's like a little uh, LCD screen at the top of the vacuum that uh, gives your dust's vital statistics in colorful bar charts why wouldn't there be a trigger so you can actually shoot the little dust with your lasers <laughs> little video game oh my god wouldn't it be great if it made noises as well pew 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 Moving on in some of the tech news, uh, the FDA has cleared the first artificial intelligent device to spot hidden signs of COVID-19. Did you see this? Yeah, this is interesting. Um, the, the, the whole notion of using this kind of technology, uh, you know, to help us get ahead of this the virus, right? And, and this is using artificial intelligence to, um, you know, sort of get ahead of the curve if you will and try to figure out you know is there something on you that is like are you carrying the virus without you know being aware of it like an asymptomatic carrier and so they're they're making this um i'm just reading that the article basically because of the medical advances that they've been able to do with you know the entire world scientific community sort of focusing on this. Um, they're able to do a lot more now as far as rapid testing, but also just sort of uh, detecting different parts of the coronavirus. And this little thing, it, it kind of looks like, I don't know, it kind of looks like you're, uh, you got your, your, your iPhone strapped to your arm for your workout or something like that. Yeah. It's, um, it's interesting. So it's an armband you wear and it's uh dubbed the Tiger Tech COVID Plus Monitor, and it uses light sensors and a small computer processor uh, to check for biomarkers of the virus, uh, such as hypercoagulation, which is apparently a common COVID-19 abnormality uh, that causes the blood to clot more easily. There's a great Engadget article about this as well, if you want to check out uh, more. Uh, but I just find it's interesting that they're I mean, so fast to develop this technology to, to hunt down the virus. Like you said, I mean, obviously the entire scientific community out there is uh, is hot on this right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw some interesting uh, stuff on the weekend, uh, last weekend, about uh, how this research is, you know, it, it, it hasn't really just been overnight. It's just like this culmination of, of years of research, you know, for the previous uh, coronaviruses like the like the SARS and, and the other ones previously. So it's just interesting when, you know, we all have a... a a shared vision or a shared desire to to solve this problem uh, when you can put a bunch of scientists together and you can come up with a solution. Well, the the stats are interesting 
they uh, have tried these in uh, different settings. In a hospital setting, the device correctly spotted COVID-19 biomarkers at uh, a rate of 98.6%, which uh, also accurately identified those that didn't have uh, the the signs at a rate of 94.5%. Not bad. That seems pretty good, yeah. It's, it's how a, long until we'll have to wear one of these things to start traveling or something again? Oh my God, can you imagine? Everyone's got yeah. COVID armbands on? Yeah. Well, <laughs> we might have to be there one one day. John, you can buy a Tesla now with Bitcoin in the US. That is not surprising, actually. <laughs> I don't know why you would. Well, I mean, I think the, the big thing is, is a lot of people collected or mined for Bitcoin when it was worthless. Yeah. And so there's a lot of people out there that have huge Bitcoin wallets and they've just been sitting on them as as it's this current this digital currency has you know evolved and to become valuable in the real world and there and you know tesla's not the first business to accept bitcoin there's lots of other businesses that have accepted it but it's just really convenient though if you want to convert some of this uh these digital uh assets uh and in, into a car um and it's it's just interesting you know what what how many bitcoins would it take to buy a car right uh you know it's one or two bitcoins is pretty much gives you access to the almost the entire range of of tesla models if you have a couple of bitcoins basically and i remember you know not too long ago when getting one bitcoin was basically worth a penny in the real world if we had only known john i know i would buy a tesla But then I wonder, like, these places that are taking and accepting Bitcoin, like Tesla now, what are they doing? Like, the challenge I have with Bitcoin is it is very volatile. Like, it yeah. can go up and down thousands of dollars in one day. Mm-hmm. So are they are they becoming speculators at this point, hoping that they just took this Bitcoin payment for the this new Model S Tesla, and they're hoping that Bitcoin will go up? Well, yeah, I mean, there was there was some recent uh, activity where Tesla spent a lot of money on on Bitcoin and and various other cryptocurrencies, and they, they apparently they have a guy that's responsible, like one of their financial guys at Tesla. He's like the coin king or something like that. I forget his title that Elon appointed him to, but basically they're seriously investigating this as you know. Uh, as a, as a currency, as as something that they can hold on to that will increase value, because it seems to be still trending upwards. And like we're going to talk about an NFT seg- segment later on, you know, other currencies like Ethereum are also you know going up in value as well. So, um, but I think they did a one day purchase when there was a rally around Bitcoin, and they I think they they end up making like a billion dollars just in the value of the Bitcoin that they had. Well, it's only value, uh, let's say a billion dollars if they have that many Bitcoins for that day. You know what I mean? Like that could drop like a hundred million dollars the next day. So yeah, unless you unless you cash out. Yeah. The the challenge is it'd be very difficult to cash out that much Bitcoin for one thing. Uh, that's the other sort of the dark side of cryptocurrency is the fact that it, it requires an enormous amount of uh, computing power to actually do that transaction. We're going to talk about 
electric vehicles now. We've uh, been doing a lot of that lately, but they're becoming more and more popular. There's more models coming out, which is exciting. John uh, drives a, uh, a Kia. I drive a Tesla myself. I actually took it up to a Soyuz this past week. Mm-hmm. How, how'd that go? It was excellent. I had some uh, some business up there uh, visiting uh, uh, La Stella Winery, which is a fantastic winery, by the way. And I was a little concerned, right? Because you got to go up through the mountains, up through Manning Park, you know, to Princeton. Well, they've uh, they've got superchargers everywhere now, John, for the Tesla. So there's one in Abbotsford. And uh, what we did is we stopped in Hope and charged up before we went into the mountains. I just wanted to be extra careful. And, you know, that took about 20 minutes. And then uh, Princeton, they've just installed some new Tesla chargers there by the Dairy Queen. So... Popped in there and charged up a little bit more, and it was fine. And apparently, Soyuz is getting their own Tesla superchargers uh, in uh, later spring here. But they they have public regular chargers there all over the place as well. So it, I didn't have a, a worry in the world, which was yeah. Cool. And, and that's that's always the big concern people have is is where can I charge? And more and more car companies are getting in on this. Um, they're actually helping to support these public chargers. Yeah. Um, but I, I think the, the the news story we really want to talk about, though, is uh, in January and February, there was a, a company in China selling uh, a, a mini EV. Let's call it a mini EV because it is it is fairly small. It's like a little hatchback, um, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah it kind of looks like a smart car, kind of like a, a boxier version of the, the Mercedes smart car that was out uh, a few years ago. Yeah. Um, but... They outsold Tesla in in China. Uh, Tesla sold uh, twenty one thousand Model Threes in yep. January. Yep. They sold thirty six thousand of these cars in January. That's amazing. And then in in February they sold uh, thirteen thousand seven hundred Teslas, but this company sold twenty thousand units last month. So. Um, I think the the key reason is cost. This is a very inexpensive vehicle. Um, the it's basically uh, about twenty nine thousand won, which is roughly forty five hundred US dollars. Oh my god! For an electric vehicle. Oh my yeah. god! Yeah, I mean it, it's not it's not going to compete with your Tesla. No. Um, it it uh, it claims to get a, a range of about uh, one hundred and seventy kilometers per charge. Yeah with a top speed of a hundred kilometers an hour. So you can barely take this on the highway one. Um, but you know, if you're just puttering around the city, you need to go to the, go to the grocery store, you need to drop your kids off at school, whatever. Like this would be an amazing little car. I, I mean, I've been sort of thinking like, this is, this is just like a step up from a golf cart, yeah. but it still <laughs> seems to go fast enough. It, it's pretty inexpensive. I mean, it, it there's there's no word when it's going to be available outside of China, but um, it's interesting though because the company that makes it, it's a Chinese state-owned uh, SAIC Motors, Wuling Motors, and a U.S. car maker that you probably have heard of, General Motors. So this is a you know a big uh, cooperative uh, endeavor, uh, basically just trying to figure out how to do electric cars in other regions which i think is really exciting um and and definitely you know in in china they have a lot of people they need to move and they're trying to get rid of all the you know gas powered vehicles um they actually have custom license plates in china 
uh, they're green license plates. So you can know, you know that that vehicle is an electric vehicle. So um, it's, I think it's just, it's just fascinating to see how quickly the adoption rate is in the fact that they're outselling Tesla. It, it is amazing. It is a small car. I think it's uh, 115 inches long, which is about almost, almost 10 feet long and 59 inches wide, which, um, you know, is not that wide. That's about five feet wide. But yeah. they're cute. And yeah, it's super, super cute, yeah. For 4,500 US, not bad. I, I know, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> you'd, you'd almost want to get one as a spare, you know what I mean? <laughs> well, exactly, yeah. I just yeah. have it, you know, plugged in, ready to go when you when you just need to go to the grocery store or something. And, yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a very neat little vehicle. Um, it's called the Wuling, Y-U-L-I-N-G. Yeah. And, um, you know, the fact that they've sold 56,000 of these cars just in the first two months is is amazing we're going to get into nfts once more this is a, a really big topic in the news right now and a, a wonderful way for digital artists to authenticate the art that they're making whether that would be video songs graphics motion graphics People, uh, an artist, sold one of his pieces, I think, for $69 million. We also seen uh, other uh, folks, John Cleese, I think we know him, uh, famous comedian, part of the uh, Monty Python uh, troupe back in the day. He uh, doodled a picture of a bridge <laughs> that he wants to sell as an NFT. Uh, also, the cranberry juice guy, the guy that uh, did a TikTok video with him skateboarding and drinking Ocean Spray Cranberry Juice. I don't know if you remember that uh, viral video. He's trying to sell the original for over half a million dollars uh, as well. And I think Jack Dorsey, one of the founders of Twitter, is trying to sell one of his original tweets for $2.9 million. He, he did sell it. Oh, my God. Did yeah. he? Yep. Yep. Uh, <laughs> it, it did sell. Uh, so a lot of times these things go for auction. And the bidding starts at like a, a dollar or $100, whatever you know the minimum kind of like an, an eBay auction, right? And, um, but yeah, it's, so you can sell a tweet and, and like the, the thing is, these are all digital assets. Like you can go see what the first tweet is. Like he, he's posted it. Yeah. You can see the drawing of the bridge that John Cleese did and you can make a copy of it and you can make it your wallpaper on your phone, but you don't own the original. And that's the trick here. So um, one of the things that you need to do is A, you need to have a digital asset and you need to have a marketplace or an auction house that would allow you to sell that. So what you have to do is you have to create a, an account. So uh, just for the purposes of this conversation, I'm going to simplify a few things. Um, but I found a really great uh, sort of uh, detailed NFTs for dummy article. Uh, it's on allartsandcrafts.com, all one word, all lowercase. Um, they have a great article about this and I kind of followed it to create my own NFT. And it's really interesting because you, you create, you have to have a digital wallet. So you need to have a place that you can hold Ethereum, which is the currency that NFTs currently bought or bought and sold with. You can create a wallet and then you can associate it with your credit card or with your bank account and you can put money into that. And Ethereum is, um, you know, like we said earlier, like Bitcoin, it's a it's a kind of volatile currency. So the value will vary depending on the day that you're doing this transaction. 
But essentially what you do is you, you take your digital asset, you go to a website. Uh, if in my particular case, I use something called OpenSea.io, which is a website that is a marketplace for artists to um, host their products. And then they can set uh, a number of variables on that particular item. So you set what the minimum cost is or the minimum uh, uh, bidding prices. You can set a reserve price. So it's not going to sell until you hit that reserve. And you can also set the commission rate. I mean, this is the key thing that's, I think, fantastic for artists is they have the ability to build into their NFT. Because uh, essentially what you're doing is you're taking your, your digital asset, again, tweet, photo, video, whatever it is, and you're baking into it a digital contract on the blockchain. And that contract says that John has set the, the, the starting price, I've set the reserve price, and then when it sells subsequently later on, I get a commission. So every time it gets sold later on, the blockchain will actually have a record of all the subsequent owners, the price that was paid, and my digital wallet automatically gets credited when that transaction happens. That doesn't happen when I'm selling a piece of art at, you know, a flea market, for example, right? Yeah. That transaction is completely separate from the artist. The artist doesn't get a cut of it. The artist did their work. They got paid for their commission. They've moved on. So that's the kind of the magic secret sauce, if you will, for an NFT that is fundamentally changing how artists are going to earn a living going forward. People have the ability to collect unique things. And like you mentioned before, there's a lot of different entities that are actually making uh, NFTs available as a collectible item. You know, people collect Funko Pops, you know, those little uh, figures uh, from video games and, and movies and that type of stuff. These are just a digital version of that type of thing that people might want to collect, whether it's for personal reasons. You know, I'm a fan of this piece of art or this artist. I want I want something and I know it came from that artist. And But then also it's an investment for some people as well. So back to OpenSea, you, you upload your, your item, you set all these parameters, and then you have to do a process called minting. And what minting does is it, it kind of like, I guess the an analogy would be like, you've, you've sealed the contract, you've, 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 you've melted the wax and you're doing that stamp and saying, okay, it's done. This is what the deal is going to be for this particular item. The problem is... Uh, to do that minting process, it needs to basically create a transaction on the blockchain. And the blockchain is expensive to add transactions to because it has to spin up a bunch of data servers and computers and that type of stuff. I'm not going to get into the, the details of it, but essentially that price for minting can cost quite a lot of money. So you're not going to just like do a doodle, you know, yourself, you know, unless you're John Cleese. Uh, and then put that up for auction because no one will buy it. And you're going to have to pay probably a couple hundred dollars to mint it and basically make it as a, as a certifiable, authenticated piece of art on the blockchain. And so I did, I did a sample photo collage that I did a few years ago uh, as my NFT, and it was going to cost me 170 US dollars to mint it. 170 bucks US. Yeah. Before you... Yeah, that's the processing fee or the service fee, if you will, on OpenSea. There might be other places that it's cheaper to do it as, this on, but this is the one I went to because it was easy. It was open. Um, some of these marketplaces, you actually have to be invited to 
sell your stuff because they're not going to let anybody do this, you know, and they want to sort of keep it exclusive and and invite certain artists to do this. Um, but OpenSea allows anybody to basically kind of like eBay. Anybody can sell on eBay. You don't have to be special or anything like that. Um, but also it's a potentially fairly public market. So there's potentially a lot of people browsing and might find your particular item and, and want to buy it. And then you would use like social media then to further publicize your thing. You set the end date for the auction as well for the initial offering. And then basically once you've minted it, it is now available and it's on the open market and anyone can uh, bid on it and, or you can have a buy it now price if you want as well. John Cleese, for example, he was selling this doodle he did on his iPad and he started the auction at $100, but he's not going to sell it. His reserve price is $69 million. Because <laughs> he's, he, he, he's, just, he's just sort of shining a light on how kind of silly this is. But also I can kind of see that maybe some of these, you know, blockchain billionaires uh, might, just throw the money at it just to say they got it. And then they could sell it again very quickly. Um, a lot of times these things do change hands fairly frequently and often because they're digital assets. They're, it's not like you have to wait for it to be shipped to you or anything like that. Like it's an instantaneous download. Um, but what's really kind of neat though is you can actually also bake something into it that only the owner can see. So the example we've used before is magicians. You can buy a magic trick. So you can see, you can, you know, the NFT is the video of the guy doing the trick to the camera. When you buy the NFT and you're the owner, the thing that you get to see is the secret is revealed to you only. Ah. So that's kind of an interesting thing to think about, you know? So same thing with, um, you know, John Cleese and his bridge. Maybe the thing that you get is an autograph signature or a note to you from John because you bought it from him. Right, that's only viewable to your eyes. It's not part of the public, publicly viewable NFT. Or maybe a deed to one of his houses, perhaps, or a bridge, <laughs> or a real bridge. You could build a bridge for sixty-nine million dollars. So, but the interesting thing, John, you said to get this thing to become an NFT, whatever type of digital art you're trying to mint, to mint it, to make it official, it yeah. costs some money. Yeah, in your case, yeah. it was over 160 US dollars, 170 US dollars. Yeah, yeah. And like I said, there, it, it, this is something that does ebb and flow with the value of Ethereum. It also ebbs and flows depending on the particular uh, uh, marketplace that you're, or the service they're using for the minting process. Um, but you know, it's it's not it's not hard. But it's also not easy. I think partially on purpose because otherwise everybody with an iPad and an Apple pencil would be doodling and trying to sell that stuff. Yeah. Right? So, but the thing is it's a market thing. So it's whatever the value of that particular digital asset is to a potential buyer. Right. And that market gets dictated. So again, maybe someone will spend $70 million to buy John Cleese's iPad doodle. If only I had that much money, John. Maybe I'd buy it. We're going to open up the mailbag. We've got some great questions. The first one uh, is help. I have a steamer trunk full of those loose photos and photo albums. I'd appreciate any suggestions on how to easily and safely digitize them. I do have a Xerox 3315 work center that I probably could use, but is there something that would make this huge job easier? That would be great. Uh, 
I think I'm kind of familiar with that particular uh, scanner printer you have. It's going to take forever on that, and it's just not really designed to do bulk photos. When I say bulk photos, you probably have hundreds, if not maybe thousands of photos. I had the same issue, and what I did is uh, I got my hands on a very cool scanner that's just made for this. It's called the Epson Fast Photo Scanner. And this is a wireless high-speed photo scanning system. You basically take your photos, like a whole batch of them, you stick it in the feeder, and it can scan like a photo a second. And the great thing is that it actually will scan both sides as well. A lot of people used to write notes on the back of photos. Well, you'll be able to capture that too. And it'll easily go through and remove things like red eye and, and what have you. And it, it scans them in high resolution as well. So you're going to get the best possible quality. But John, there is a price to that. Yes, it's not a cheap machine, although it is kind of cool to watch it actually work. It kind of looks like one of those things that counts money. You know, you put the bills in the top and you're just like... <laughs> totally. totally. I, I, I loved it, John, because I was able to actually organize my photos because each time you put a, a stack in, you can give it a special name for that batch and, and that folder. Uh, that you're going to keep it on on your computer, and I, I have to say, it works like a charm, and it's probably the best one out there. But it's eight hundred bucks. It's seven ninety nine. Yeah, but you found a, an alternative for people that don't want to spend that, and maybe maybe they don't want to. They don't have enough photos to justify that. No. So you know what? You can go down to Staples uh, at the Staples Copy and Print Center. Uh, phone the store first to make sure that they offer the service, but uh, they have photo scanning. And I, I, I think they're actually using the Epson fo fast photo scanners, John. <laughs> yeah. So you know you're getting the quality of, of the scans. And it starts at about 39 bucks for 99 photos, which isn't bad. So the price gets better as you, you do more photos, obviously. So uh, just to give you an idea, if you want to scan up to 1,000 photos, it's $179. Which isn't bad because it's a fairly labor intensive, even if you're loading it with stacks of these photos, there's still some time and, and effort and then giving you those files later on as well. But I guess if you have, if it's a hundred, how much is it? A hundred and 179 bucks for a thousand photos. So if you have, you know, three or 4,000 photos, maybe then maybe it's worth getting your own Yeah, and then you can charge your friends to have them come over with their shoeboxes full of photos. Or you know what, John, even like when you're finished, completely finished, sell it for even half yeah. price. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're still, you come out ahead. Uh, so uh, the staple service says it takes about five to seven days. They'll also throw in a free eight gigabyte USB stick to store them all on. Uh, and again, they'll do the front and back scanning. They'll do the red eye removal, color correction and, and everything. So, you know, your faded photos, it'll bring them back uh, to, you know, close to the original colors uh, as, as well. Uh, so again, either purchase the Epson Fast Photo or go down to Staples, uh, the Copy and Print Center. They're, they're great down there. They're mm -hmm. great. Okay, let's see if we can do one more quick question. Uh, this is something that we have to address, John. Uh, listener uh, wrote in, something called the Watt Pro Saver has been suggested to me, and I'm wondering if you have investigated this. It sounds plausible, but perhaps it's too good to be true. Please advise. John, the Watt Pro Saver. Yeah. Uh, if you ever see something like this that gets either advertised to you or your friend tells you about it, find out, do they actually have it? Uh, <laughs> chances are they don't. Um, and But I mean, it sounds like a good idea, but just put in Watt Pro Saver into Google and page after page of results saying how much of a scam it is. 
basically what it is, it's, it sounds like it's a, it's a capacitor that stores some energy and it's, it's meant to basically any energy that comes into your house, it stores that and then it distributes it later on to your stuff. So you're not constantly just having this flow of energy, but everything that I've read about it says it doesn't work in, in especially not in favor of a consumer. This may be more of some, this type of technology might apply more to a business that has a different way of how they pay for their power. But basically a consumer household would, would not see any benefit from this. Um, and also, you know, at least in BC, we have some of the cheapest electricity in the world. Uh, how much are you going to save by buying this thing? The other thing that's always a good gotcha on some of these things that are advertised, can you go to the Home Depot and buy this? No, you can't. No. Can you go to Amazon and buy this? No, you can't. You can only get it from them, which means it's a scam. Because if you could buy from Amazon, you could try it. it. doesn't work for you. You could return it, that type of thing. They don't give you any option to return it if it doesn't work for you. It's only $60 though, John. Well, uh, you could, could. just give me $60 and I'll be happy. <laughs> Hey, thanks for listening to the Get Connected podcast. If you like what you hear, subscribe, rate, and review us. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or CuriousCast.ca. If you want to get in touch with us, you got to check out our website, GetConnectedMedia.com. We've always got great contests going there. You can drop us a line anytime. We'll see you again next time.